You're listening to a podcast edition of Closer to Truth. For more information about this series, visit our website, closertotruth.com. What am I, the real me? Am I some special substance that is non-physical and immortal? Immaterial stuff temporarily attached to my body, which, after the death of my body, will somehow separate and live on? From ancient times, it's been called a soul. Do persons have souls? Most people say, surely. Most scientists, surely not. What some theologians think may trouble you. I'm Robert Lawrence Kuhn, and Closer to Truth is my journey. Before I can know whether souls exist, I need to know what souls are supposed to be. The soul is at the doctrinal core of most religions. So I start my journey with a Christian theist, J.P. Moreland, a philosopher at Biola University in Los Angeles. You believe in the immortality of the soul, that there is a soul? I do believe that there is a substantial soul. Okay, I'm going to give you that, that there is a soul. What is it? Is it this sort of simple, vaporous, uh, incorporable, immaterial stuff? The soul is an immaterial substance that contains consciousness and animates and makes living the body. The soul is a thing that has faculties, so that there is a faculty of the soul, which would be the faculty of sight. On this view, my eyes don't see, I see by using my eyes. And the reason I can see is that I have functioning eyes, but that my soul has a faculty of sight. The mind is a faculty of the soul. It is those powers of the soul that, is, that are capable of having beliefs, engaging in thought, and drawing inferences. Uh, the will is a faculty of the soul. It is those powers that are capable of choosing and engaging in volition. The spirit, I believe, is a faculty of the soul, and a spirit is a power of the soul that is capable of being aware of God and of the supernatural. Now, you're throwing some terms out here. I want you to define for me the difference between three terms, mind, soul, and spirit. We're using all of them. Think of the soul like a chest of drawers, and think of the mind and the spirit like two drawers in the chest of drawers. I am a soul. I'm an immaterial substance. Within me are different faculties, different ranges of powers or abilities I have. And how many faculties are there? Have you uh, counted them? No. Uh, I, I think what we have to do is to explain any range of genuinely different powers in the soul. So, for example, I think very primitive animals clearly have faculties of sensations, but probably not faculties of thought. Higher animals, like a dog, would have a faculty of thought in addition to faculties of sensations. What follows from this soul that you have, which is very richly defined, 
that soul, I assume, has uh, uh, necessary immortality? It, I don't believe it has necessary immortality. I believe that the, that the human soul will never cease to exist, but only because I think God sustains it. God could annihilate it if He wanted to. So, no, I don't believe okay. the soul is immortal, if you mean by that, self-existent. Okay. But it, it can exist forever because uh, yes. God sustains yes. it. Yes, and it's but different it, but, from the body. The okay. soul can exist without a body. Okay. If a one-cell bacterium or an amoeba reacts with its environment, we know it's alive, that it has some kind of soul, maybe very, very, very simple compared to our soul. That's right. It's not conscious, but you can't explain the interaction of its parts mechanistically. Uh, you have to have a whole that is prior to the parts if you have evidence that the parts function and are what they are in light of that whole. So the, the very um, simplest of forms of life, you would say have a soul but do not have consciousness. That's right. Because consciousness may be the mind and that's one of the faculties that is not existent at that level. Exactly right. You mean I understand this now? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand it. Here's JP's argument for the soul. Because consciousness differs from brain states, and because the self is simple, while the brain has parts, the conscious self is more than the brain. While JP's argument is philosophical, it is based on his Christian belief. But there's a new movement among Christian philosophers which denies the existence of a soul. Nancy Murphy is a well-known Christian philosopher. She's also an ordained minister. But her understanding of the soul is radically different. Nancy, the immortal soul has been a traditional answer by theists to the classical mind-body problem. Mm -hmm. Tell me a history of this mind-body problem and the role of the immortal soul in it. It's widely agreed that the Hebrew scriptures, at least up until the very latest writings, uh, do not have a concept of an immortal soul. There's a Hebrew word, nefesh, that used to be translated soul, but it's act, that was actually a bad translation. And so if you compare, for instance, the King James Version with any contemporary version, either Jewish or Christian, you'll find that all sorts of different words replace that term. So um, apparently the Hebrews uh, were extremely rare among all of the other religious groups in the past to have a physicalist account of the human being. We are created out of the dust of the earth just like the animals are. I think it's recognized that the immortal soul came into Jewish theology post-biblical. Yes, and uh, one theory is that it was simply picked up from Greek philosophy, which is quite credible. So we get now to the period, uh, say, 200 years before and 200 years after Jesus' day, and we have a whole melange of ideas. There is one group uh, among the Jews who continued to hold that we are purely physical and there's no such thing as life after death. 
There's another group that's adopted body-soul dualism and expects the soul to be immortal after the body dies, just like many of the Greeks did. There's another group, which is interesting, that thinks of us as purely physical, but believes that at the end of history, uh, the Lord will raise all of the people up uh, a, a general resurrection. And so Jesus comes in the middle of that controversy, and um, I believe that Jesus held a view that he was purely physical, but also believed that he was going to be raised up, and that his resurrection was going to be the beginning of the end time. So I believe that that's how Christianity started out, but the Apostle Paul was extremely influential. He was very much influenced by Greek thought, and by the time we get to Augustine writing around the year 400, body-soul dualism was uh, very well established in Christian theology and was connected up to a number of other Christian doctrines, and it pretty much stayed that way until the advent of uh, uh, critical uh, biblical scholarship and critical church history, where the question was raised, uh, was dualism really in the Bible or not? The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It was translated into Greek, the Septuagint, and the Greek terms uh, were used to translate the original Hebraic terms. But then the Greek terms were understood not because in terms of the Hebraic context, but in terms of the Platonic context of the philosophers, and we have conscientiously read them that way all the way up to, uh, say, a century ago. What happened next? Well, the biblical scholars and theologians in the mainstream of Christianity, the, the liberals and the moderates, uh, have uh, been very much open to a physicalist understanding of the person, rejecting body-soul dualism. Uh, they have also uh, stopped talking about uh, life after death in terms of the immortality of the soul, which is a Greek idea, and they t uh, have recognized the centrality of the uh, New Testament proclamation of the resurrection of the body. After all, that's what Easter is about. Jesus is risen. No soul in the Bible? That's what Nancy says. Not in the Hebrew Scriptures. Not what Jesus taught. To be sure, a resurrection of the dead is throughout the Bible. But no soul. That's what Nancy says. I should speak with a philosopher who is not tied to a religious tradition. No one would accuse Daniel Dennett, a distinguished professor at Tufts University, of being bound by religious rope. He famously explains consciousness with a soul nowhere in mind. If you go back and look at Descartes, René Descartes, who was the, the, really the father of dualism, uh, he, he did a very interesting thing. He said, first of all, only human beings had minds. Mm. Animals didn't have minds. They were just fancy clockwork. Mm -hmm. And we're a lot of fancy clockwork, right. too. There's lots of just mechanical processes mm -hmm. going on in our body. But then in addition to those fancy processes, there's, there's a special and, even to him, mysterious link to an immaterial mind. Mm. In fact, the only thing that he said 
couldn't be explained mechanically is what we're doing right now, having an intelligent conversation. Mm. It was language and the capacity to have an intelligent conversation that he underlined as the thing that was beyond all imaginable mechanism. That's what you needed, an immaterial bit of wonder stuff. <laughs> what he realized, and it's since been confirmed by linguistics, if, if there was ever any doubt, is that there's as good as an infinity of sentences that you and I can effortlessly understand. Mm -hmm. He didn't see how anything mechanical could do that. Uh, today, I think now that we have computers and we can now for the first time take seriously uh, a machine with a trillion moving parts, <laughs> uh, all bets are off on that. What are some of the methodologies that we can use, the, the contextual ways of thinking about the mind-body problem? Well, I've put forward a, a neutral way of thinking about the problem, saying, all right, so, so what is the problem? What are the data? Let's just have a catalog. Mm -hmm. And uh, the data are what we do. Well, we can record that. We can use video and sound recording, and we can wire people up and get lots of data about what's going on in their brains and their bodies. And then we can talk to them about what they see and hear and feel and smell and so forth. I call this, by the way, by the very ungainly term, heterophenomenology. This is phenomenology of the other, as opposed to autophenomenology, which is introspection, which is phenomenology of yourself. Phenomenology being the things that we feel and sense. And that's right, that's right. Now, other people say, that's fine, Dan, but unless you do a first-person yeah. analysis, the internal, uh, the yeah, auto, yeah, unless yeah. you do that, you're missing the fundamental core yeah, of yeah. consciousness. Of course, I don't say, don't you dare introspect. Um, but I'm saying when you introspect, you have to treat your own introspections with the same circumspection, the same caution that you treat everybody else's. So what you're saying is that unless you can take that first person experience and subject it to the third person neutrality, That's it. it's not science. That's right. Now, why should we do science then? That's a good question. But I think most of the people who are interested in the mind-body problem accept that that is the mind-body problem. How can we unify our everyday, introspective, personal, first personal sense of ourselves with the world that science tells us is there? I say there's a neutral way of doing it. You have to pass it through the third person sieve. No soul, Dan, no surprise. Dan relies on the scientific method, the third-person sieve, to assay our private innermost introspections. And while he finds a great deal about how the mind works, he finds nothing of a soul. I need a tough-minded philosopher who focuses on hardcore metaphysics and is a serious believer in God. Peter van Inwagen is a philosopher at Notre Dame. Peter believes in God. I wonder how he deals with the soul, an immaterial essence that is said to cause consciousness. Well, I think the most effective way is to begin with the question, what are we? And there are various answers. Uh, through this question. One of them is the Cartesian Platonic answer, according to which we are immaterial. 
things and we bear some kind of causal relation uh, to the living organisms that you see where we cause things to happen in them, they cause things uh, to happen in us, the immaterial things. But suppose that you think, as I do, that um, a human being um, is the living organism. That has certain advantages over the other view and then it gets rid of the um, interaction problem. How an immaterial thing uh, without violating conservation laws could cause things to happen uh, in a material thing. But it remains mysterious still what is this consciousness that's associated with this uh, organism. Because I think the difficulty is not really the question how could a physical thing be conscious but how could a thing be conscious or how could consciousness uh, exist at all. I don't see how it helps to solve this great mystery to say that the thing that's conscious is immaterial. Why is that a help? Assuming there could be immaterial things, why is it easier for one of them to be conscious than a material thing? Well, I, I think one can answer that because you're defining your immaterial thing as, as consciousness. So it, 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 it is a, a definitional direction that you have. Well, if you did define it, that way, I suppose <laughs> I could rephrase the question as why do you think there are such things? But in fact, that's not how immaterial thing is defined. Immaterial thing is defined as the thing that's not material. Um, so at least if you define it that way, what is a material thing? Well, I don't know, a thing made out of elementary particles, a thing that has a mass, um, a thing that responds to physical forces. Mm. Uh, an immaterial thing is a thing that doesn't have those <laughs> properties. Why is that a leg up in the race to consciousness? Why does it help not to have those properties? With the probability that dualism is correct, which you don't agree with in terms of explaining consciousness, have a, a higher degree of probability given the fact that there is God versus uh, uh, the, 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 the worlds in which mm. there were no God? Well, I mean, if God exists, then it follows that an immaterial thinking substance uh, as a possibility. Of course, it doesn't follow that a finite immaterial thinking substance uh, as a possibility, and that's what you would need uh, for uh, dualism. And for an immaterial thing of, a, of, of, of our person to make things move in the world, interact with the world, is just something that, that you reject? Well, I mean, there are certainly problems about conservation laws and the laws of physics. I mean, if you want to say, yeah, we can work miracles. We're immaterial things, and every time we uh, want to, something to move in the material world, we work a miracle. Yeah, all right, I can't refute that. I mean, that's consistent at any rate. Or you could say, every time we, uh, we want to do that, God works a miracle. But if you're not willing to bring the miraculous into it, I don't see how to make things happen without making the law of conservation of energy or momentum false in some physical system. Peter just can't imagine how consciousness can be explained at all. Not by the physical brain, not by a non-physical soul. What's left? There's something wrong with this picture. After enjoying the rich philosophy, but feeling intellectually confused, 
I decide to venture beyond the insights of analysis and immerse myself in the feelings of perceptions. Body, mind, soul, spirit. These are the traditional terms describing persons. If there is a soul, how would it fit in this hierarchy? And what would it do? I turn to Houston Smith, still the grand master of religious studies. I go to his home in Berkeley. Houston, you've talked about the different religions describing the person on four levels, a body, a mind, a soul, and a spirit. I'd like to understand that. Okay, the body. The 150-odd pounds of protoplasm that can be uh, touched and give us so much joy and so much pain, both. Now, some people would say that's it. That's the end. <laughs> okay, let's go to mine. Yes. It is true, the advances in brain science, regions for this, that, and happiness, and so on, is really very extraordinary, but uh, it's no reason to think that that's all, in fact. Uh, common sense, and now even philosophers of the mind are saying that. Mind is not the same as brain. Okay, now are we ready for soul? I'm ready. <laughs> okay, well, now all the traditions will say that there is something within us uh, that animates us and everything that comes from us. Uh, you might call it the spark of the divine, as some people do. And all religions have some version of that. And that is the soul. Now that differs from the mind. It differs from the mind because it is, uh, as Plotinus put it, that fountain ever on. It is, uh, it is uh, the fundamental element with us from which everything else uh, proceeds, including mind with its Okay, now uh, what's the difference between soul and spirit? Uh, soul is the fundamental component of our individuality, but there's only one spirit. Oh. And that's true of all the souls on this planet. Mm. There, it is the one. Now, 
Can the soul exist independently? Well, in our modern view, we build from the bottom up. Yeah. But in traditional views, and all traditional views are religious, it's the other way down. It's like uh, we are our spirit, and then there is a kind of uh, encasement which is reductionistic. So causation is from the top down. So the spirit is one spirit, and yeah. that is, and this is pervasive, and then that individualizes into individual souls? Yes. God is a spirit, yeah. and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm. That's the same as the divine. Mm. I am fascinated by the soul. How its diverse expressions mark different beliefs. For most scientists, the soul is myth. For most philosophers, the soul is clumsy. And for those who are spiritual but shy away from religion, the soul is bedrock. Christians hold two views. The traditional and still majority doctrine is that there is a soul and it is immortal. But some theologians now claim that there is no soul. The person is entirely physical and that God will ultimately resurrect the body. Trying the soul takes us closer to truth. To watch complete conversations with over 100 of the world's leading thinkers on cosmos, consciousness, and God, visit our website, closertotruth.com.